Welcome to the Days of Dev podcast. I am your host, Kevin Lasht, and my guest on this episode is Jessica Kerr. Your to-do list should be impossible. That's a quote from Jess on this episode, and I couldn't agree more. To me, it represents excitement. And on the show, Jess relays just what it means to her. She's a developer, a conference speaker, writer, podcaster, and semathicist. That last word, semathicy, was new for me. And in essence, it describes a learning system made of learning parts. And this kind of mutual learning is captured well in this episode. From idea generation exercises, through blueprints for conference talks and writing, to productivity and teamwork. If you're looking for a seam into teaching, this one's for you. Now, my conversation with Jessica Kerr. 60 degrees and raining thunderstorms out of Chicago, Illinois for this one. But I do always say that coding in the rain is a top five activity. And right up there with it is talking about things related to coding. (laughs) Jessica Kerr is my guest today. Jess, want to welcome you to the show. And if you could set the stage for us, the fans ask for it. They need it. Can you give us an idea of where you're at right now and what the weather's like out there? 90 degrees is the high today and sunny and it's gorgeous, but it'll get down to 60. So when I go to the football game tonight, I'm bringing my coat. That is fantastic. What what football game are you headed to? Friday, kind of Friday Night Lights action? Webster Groves High School. My daughter's in the marching band. You know, I was a trumpet player growing up, and one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't I didn't stick with it. I would love to have carried an instrument forward with me. So give her my best. I hope that she sticks with it, enjoys only if she enjoys it though. I guess you have to, yeah, you have to... she likes the flute. The marching part, not so great. Not so much. The, the sitting at the football game hates it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, I, so I need to go sit there in solidarity. But I'm looking forward to it today. It's a beautiful evening. It's been a day of a, a lot of thinking, and I am ready to be bored. Well, I hope you both have a good time out there. Um, on the, I guess, how about this for a segue? The topic of performances. Uh, mm. You two... Um, Setting the stage here, I thought we could begin with when you were growing up, you mentioned on an episode of the Greater Than Code podcast that you were involved as an extra in theater productions and and things like that. I was super curious. I would just, I would love to learn more about those experiences and what that was like, how you even got involved in something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I was in middle school and high school, my grandmother was the drama director at the local college at Hannibal LaGrange College. And every year they put on a musical. And so as like the director's granddaughter, I often got to be on stage. Um, My favorite was the king and I because I had a speaking part. I was Princess Ying Yowalak. (laughs) And uh, it was good. It was good. I remember one time on stage, I'm I'm Ying Yawalak and all me and all of the other uh, little royal children are are on stage huddled down in our bowing position, and I sneezed, <laughs> and the corner of the audience nearest me laughed. Oh gosh, yeah. 
I loved it. <laughs> I feel like that stuff too, it had to have been, um, well, so much fun, but also why I asked is uh, so much just, I guess, good training for, you know, now bringing us to the current day. You're a frequent uh, speaker at conferences and wanted to get some insight into if you think those experiences, you know, helped uh, shape your stage presence. And uh, I ask because so, so speaking for me, you know, it's always, let's say like an experience, you know, the lead up usually involves, I think the tradition is me breaking into a cold sweat. Uh, but then once I get up there, that like that part I really enjoy and, and have a lot of fun with. But it's just the, the waiting around before the talk, that, uh. is, that is the rough part. And, and so I would be curious, uh, you know, let's get into it right away here. You've given a number of keynote, uh, keynote talks. And coming up, you're scheduled to give a keynote at RubyConf. 2019. Uh, first, congratulations. That is an awesome Thanks. gig and super exciting. I agree. It's, it's a major honor to be keynoting RubyConf with Sandy Metz and Matt. Yeah. Well, you will hold the stage well. I know it. And, uh, and I wonder if you could give us a look into what it's like to be a keynote speaker. Uh, you know, play into the show here. What does a day as a keynote speaker look like? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I love to open because then it's over with and you get to enjoy the rest of the conference. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it is. Also, also, you mentioned that part about the the buildup to getting on stage. Yes. Yeah. Being the hardest part. Um, it helps in the morning. That time is just not very long. <laughs> so like an early time slot helps a lot with that anxiety. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but you mentioned like having been on stage as a child and I do think that has helped a lot because for me growing up, I just spent a lot of time on stage, mostly during rehearsals. Uh, Cause even when I wasn't in the play, um, in addition to a musical Grammarty would direct um, a play every year and I would go to all the rehearsals and if everybody was there, then I would sit in the, the audience chairs and read my book. I remember reading Gone with the Wind. I don't recommend reading that at 13. You don't understand it at that age. <laughs> um, but then when someone was not there for a rehearsal, I would go read their part. And that, that just makes the being on a stage normal. Because of that, growing up, I spent more time on a stage than looking at a stage. And that's different from most people's experience. Uh, one piece of advice I would give people if you're nervous about being on stage, if you ever get the opportunity to just hang out on a stage, whether it's if you're, if you're involved at a conference, if you're organizing or something beforehand or whatever, or if you're in your kids' elementary school or, or at church, um, if you're in the choir at church, something, if you can just hang out on a stage. You know, if you're, if you're just waiting for things to happen, sit up there and read a book. Have a conversation. Make it normal to be on that platform. 
Yes, I love that tip. And I would say too, even speaking from my personal experience, I had read a tip online and tried this out the last time I spoke and it was so helpful. And it was even playing exactly into what you said at the venue that you are set up to give the talk at, Mm -hmm. try to get onto the stage or in front of where you are going to present, be presenting from before you actually give to the talk. Even if the room isn't isn't filled yet, just try to put yourself, yeah. yeah, try to put yourself like in that position, looking out just to I suppose mentally prime yourself of um of that 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 position you're going to be in oh yes that's excellent advice and in fact I I usually want to get to the conference half an hour before it starts and then go to the room I'm going to speak in or or if your talk is after lunch do this during lunch go to the room you're going to speak in go stand um behind the podium, walk around, look at the screen. Where's the screen relative to you? Look at the chairs. Where are they? How deep is the room and how wide is the room? Like what, what's the angle that you're going to need to talk to with the audience or how big are your fonts going to need to be? Yes. If you can hook up your projector or your computer to the projector and try out the screen, great. Put your slides up there, put whatever has the smallest letters, or if you're doing a demo, put your terminal up there and type some stuff and then walk to the back of the room and sit down. See how much of the screen you can see, because often the people in front have their heads, it's not their fault, but their heads are blocking part of the screen from the people in the back of the room. Uh, So just kind of get the audience's perspective and, and own that space. You belong there. That is a huge tip. I know that the the font size especially and just the, I think, amount of content that you plan to place onto a slide is a learned thing. I remember, Mm. luckily it was just a lightning talk, but I remember one of the first talks I gave, I was trying to relay like huge blocks of code with like no discrete, you know, highlighting. And the feedback I got was like, yeah, we have no idea (laughs) or could not at all process just what you were trying to display there. So such, such valuable things to consider. I wonder too, if before you even get to the point of giving the talk, we could set up individuals who were looking to to get into uh, the business of, of giving talks, of public speaking. And I wonder from your own experience, could you give us some ideas into uh, how you go about taking an idea into a talk, uh, all the way maybe from if you could offer any advice for how an individual could set themselves up for you know submitting to a call for proposals, and even maybe if you have any exercises for how they might generate those ideas to submit. Yes, I will give y'all the same advice that I got that got me into conference speaking, which is You do not need to be an expert in what you're talking about. You just need to know enough to talk for an hour or half an (laughs) hour, however long it is. And the best time to, to give a talk about something, especially if you're teaching a technology, is right after you learned it. I would much rather hear from someone who has recently learned a language, if I'm trying to like learn that language, than the language author. I mean, the language author can give me perspective and some why, but the person who just learned it is the one that can tell me where the stumbling blocks are Yes, and where the really cool stuff is to look for that. So here's the secret. 
or a secret, there are many. Um, maybe you have something you already know that you want to talk about. Great. Write an abstract for that. Run it by your friends, especially if you have, if you know anyone who's a conference organizer. Um, and if you don't, eh, paying someone on Twitter, you might be surprised. People tend to be really helpful about little stuff like reviewing abstracts. That's a quickie that people can feel helpful with. The the trick is to also write some abstracts for stuff you don't know yet, but kind of would like to. Mm. You know, and there's always more things that we need to learn or want to learn than we have time to learn. Let the conferences pick among those. So write the abstract that says what is interesting about that technology and that you'll show people how to get started and what they can do with it. And then whichever abstract gets accepted, actually learn the thing. I love that idea. And circling back to uh, the first point you mentioned as well, the putting an abstract together or at least some focused effort into documenting things right after you learn them. I think that is huge and something I personally need to do a better job about too. I manage a personal goals repo for myself where I organize, whether it be blog posts, conference talks I want to give, all these things. I can't tell you how many fragments of ideas I have in there that were just like headlines that I never took the time up front right as I came to that idea expanding it out, trying to flesh out whatever I was thinking of at the time. And now when I look back at them, I'm removing them from the repo because I just, I don't have eyes into like what I was thinking at that time. So I feel like, yes, in the moment, putting in the time and the effort to try to at least spec out maybe an outline of where you think you're headed with, with this idea is so important. Yeah. 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 Make five sentences. Yes. Three to five sentences is enough for an abstract. Shoot it out. Um, and let the organizers pick. Here's a tip. At the point where your talk gets accepted, because you, if you send five talks, some conferences might accept three. And it is, it whenever, at the point where they're, where they're sending out acceptances and rejections, it is totally fine to say, I can't anymore. And it's totally fine to say, I can only do one. Because at that point, they still have a pile of talks that they can pick from to get other speakers. That does not count as backing out. I, I like that a lot. I, so I have never thought about playing the field in a sense and submitting multiple ideas. I have always been just one and done. Uh, but that that angle I think is great. Yeah, because to your point then too, if many are accepted, then you really have much more freedom in picking the topic that either you are most comfortable talking about or most looking to, to pursue. Yeah, That's- or still interested in. Yeah, yeah. At that point, you can you can pick among them and and just pick the one that you're really interested in. Yeah, I dig yeah, it. Yeah, good point. The point you mentioned about uh, you know maybe putting the five sentences together for an abstract, I thought we could now unpack that a little more and stretch that out into any advice you might have for putting a keynote talk together. We talked oh. about this a little bit. My So the, the talk that I actually just finished up writing, uh, we talked about a little bit at the end of Southeast Ruby, which is, I'll frame it out for our listeners, Every day I eat an omelet 
And <laughs> I manage an omelet blog that is just hosting, you know, a photo of each of these omelets. Every day I eat the omelet, I take a picture, I post it to the omelet blog. Some might say that is easy. To them, I say not easy enough. I wanted this process to be automated. And what I ended up building was a series of microservices that do everything from fetching the photos out of my Google Photos library to then parsing them for omelets and then posting them if they are of an omelet to my static site. And the talk, and so the service is, is done, it's working out there, and I wanted to put a talk together around this, but it was a talk that bundled up like six different micro apps. And after I had scaffolded out the narrative for the talk, the outline, uh, you know, I, I just felt entirely overwhelmed. And so I took a step back and I approached things sort of as I would in programming. You know, I ended up breaking down each of the sections into components that I could like work on, you know, in, in, in independently. And then I got as far as I could and I tried to just merge them all back together and make things as cohesive as I could. But I think with, with keynote link talks, to me, the sheer number of slides and just the, the length is, is, is sometimes an overwhelming thing to face. And I wonder if you could offer us advice for how you go about managing, organizing, and producing those longer format talks. Mm. Mm. One thing I've learned that surprised me, the longer the talk, the easier it is to write. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because like you mentioned, there's all these sections, there's all these micro apps, you put it all together. And I imagine you probably have easy 90 minutes worth of material. You could probably do a whole workshop. Yeah, I think to me, it was it was finding a way to build a cohesive narrative. That was the, the, mm -hmm. the struggle there. Maybe that's a struggle in all in all uh, duration formats. But yeah, that was what was difficult for me. That is the core question of how to write a good, co good conference talk. It's finding that narrative because you need a story. A story is what sticks in people's heads. Now, omelets, there's a story there. People like omelets. They like breakfast and we like posting pictures of food. And you also have the story of uh, what drove you to build each piece, where the pain was. It's a tiny pain, but it's still a pain to have to go through the steps of uploading it. Um, and that's important. You remember building this app. So it's pretty easy to construct a story around it. And the story is all about why. It's always about why. What drove me to this? What drives uh, this particular automation? What drives this change? And how is it different afterward? And and you want you want to feel the pain at the beginning. And you want to feel the celebration at the end. Or, or, or the chagrin. Sometimes it's, and we learned. <laughs> yes, yeah, mo most times, yeah. That also works as a denouement. It does not have to be a happy story, but it does have to be a story. And when it is a story, and especially if you have feelings about it, that makes it stick. That makes, uh, makes the information useful to people because they can take it away. Hey, I do have some strong feelings about omelets, so that is, uh, no, that is... <laughs> That is that is super helpful and and makes me think, yeah, I've got some that's good feedback to incorporate. I like the idea of and I think plays into what we talked about earlier too, 
building on personal experiences and and documenting things very close to after having done them so that you're really able to like capture those feelings and and your true experience for others to then to then learn from um maybe to flip things around a little bit too it sounds like for an audience to be engaged that it's good to have to produce a story out there for those audience members. How can someone attending a conference make the most of their time? Uh, talk to people. If you don't feel like going to a talk in a particular slot, if you're tired, don't mm-hmm. hang yeah. out in the hallway, go back to your hotel room and take a nap because you're going to be better off the next day and it gives it gives what you've learned time to settle down you might run into someone and have a fortuitous conversation sometimes i go to the hotel bar for a while sometimes i get a drink sometimes i take it back to the conference with me if the conference is in a hotel that totally works um i just don't feel like you need to go to every session to maximize your experience that is not what it's about uh, but do go to some sessions and also go to ones, go to at least one that you didn't expect to go to, that you don't have a good reason to go to. Sometimes I'm still taking notes from the previous session and, and putting them out on Twitter. And I'm like, all right, whatever's in this room next, that's what I'm going to hear. More often, I'm talking to somebody. What session are you going to go to? Oh, I'm going to go to this thing because blah, 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 blah. Uh, all right, I'll come with you. Part of the value of a conference is finding out what's out there that you didn't know was there. I mean, even where we met, Southeast Ruby, that was catching up after the event had wrapped up and having conversations with you and some of the other speakers. Those, uh, I enjoyed those uh, those conversations just as much. In some cases, you know, it was it was just as much as I learned at the conference itself, and it was great to just forge those like personal connections too. Uh, so yes, absolutely. Yeah. I got to say too, I want to circle back. You mentioned something that I had forgotten entirely about, which was following your uh, following your Twitter feed as the as the conference progressed. It was really cool to see. I'd never seen this before. You take photos of the speakers and annotating those photos. Uh, that was a really cool way to not only capture these talks as they were going on, but to also offer up just the insights that you were taking away as as the conference uh, progressed. And maybe that's a good. Um, segue to into just uh, your approach to writing in general. I wonder, you know, you blog uh, on such an awesome frequency and wondering just as we talked about uh, helping individuals out there find those ideas for maybe talks. I wonder too, what your process looks like for putting a blog post together. Uh, where is, is it very similar in that, you know, after you've just worked on something, learned something, you then turn to, to producing a blog post or, or I guess candidly, where do all the ideas come from? I realized several weeks ago that I hadn't written much lately. It gets clogged up in my head and I have these big posts in my head that I want to make, but it's so hard to make them until I have submitted them as an abstract. And now I have a deadline, which is the conference. That's where the the camarada talk came from. And I told myself, okay, Jess, you need to write, write something every day. So I theoretically blog every day. Really? It's about twice a week. That's fine. 
but the point is I want my little posts to be one or two minute reads. So that takes the pressure off. They need to be one idea. When I start to write something and it starts to get long, I'm like, stop, Jess. This is more than one thing. Mm-hmm. Publish the one thing and maybe then an additional thing separately if you want to. So so I try to make them like a, a little over a page long, maybe. And that kind of takes the pressure off. And they're just one idea, one thought. I read this thing. I had this thought about it. Get it out there. Also, uh, tweeting is good practice for this. And you don't even have to do threads, just like one tweet. It was even better when tweets were half as long. <laughs> because you just, it. well, also that makes it really good practice for your writing style, removing unnecessary words. Mm, totally, yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, and it doesn't need to be your idea. Blog someone else's idea and say what you think is cool about it. That makes you part of that idea. Because you're spreading it, you're adding to it, you're enriching it, and and that's great. I mean, you mentioned the taking a picture of the speaker or the slides and annotating it and throwing it up on Twitter. I mean, this is why people follow me on Twitter. It's not for my content, or at least not only. It's for everyone else's content that I distill down and throw up there in a um, a trip to the bathroom sized chunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so the, the answer to, to writing is really just keep it small, get it out there. And then once in a while, I'll have something longer or something out of a talk, and I'll spend more time and write a real post. But a lot of the stuff that goes into the real posts and into the, the real talks is stuff that I've tested out in tweets. I'm about to build a blog post out of a Twitter thread that I did. And then it might, it'll work its way into my next talk. So these things build up, but test it out in little stuff. Also in conversations with people in the hallway conferences, at meetups with your coworkers. I love that advice. I like the idea too of leveraging each of these bigger sized mediums as your own focus groups. Maybe start something out as a tweet and then it graduates into a blog post. And then maybe from there, there's an idea for something of longer format, whether it be uh, a longer essay blog post or a talk. Uh, As far as developing that productivity, right in line with that, I thought we could talk to and segue into things that individuals, whether it's in their personal pursuits or, or on teams, things that they can be doing uh, to foster a productive environment. And to draw from one of your blog posts, along with this thread, uh, which we can also make sure to link in the show notes, but it's from your writing on a basic compact. And I wanted to read back a quote of yours uh, that just resonated with me super deeply and, and is something that I see as a critical part of building successful teams as well. And that is teamwork is about letting people know when it's harder than you expect it to be. Keeping each other together and not swallowing errors, but letting each other know when when you need to 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 essentially get help, to reach out for help. And so, yes, I'd be curious to learn about your perspective on what individuals and teams can be doing uh, to just promote a productive environment and and an environment where developers can experience um, just a, a smoothness in their work. 
Yeah, the quote that you mentioned about teamwork is about telling each other when things get hard. That as opposed to making your commitments, just work harder. Teamwork is not, oh my gosh, this is taking longer than I thought. I need to work all the way through the night so that I don't let my team down. No, you are letting your team down right there because you're working as an individual. Teamwork is not keeping your promises. Teamwork is keeping each other up to date when you realize that you're not going to be able to keep your promise. Maybe you're sick. Maybe your dog died. Or, if this happens so often in software, there's some complication that we didn't see. As a team, we want to be reliable. We want people to be able to count on the team, but an individual human, and especially when we're writing software, which we can't predict everything that's going to happen. No, individual humans are inherently not reliable. We have problems. We have vacations. We have children. We have um, car accidents. So lean on your team and let your team lean on you. When someone else gets a question in Slack and you know they're not in that day, try to answer the question. Just keep an eye out for each other and keep each other informed. All of this is based on we have responsibilities as a team because we have some hope of actually fulfilling them. An individual can't be on call 24-7 every week. That's very unhealthy. But a team can. Sure, we can make a we can make a rotation, no big deal, and we can trade off when we need to. So when the team has responsibility, this changes your individual motivations too. It changes your incentives and makes them healthier. If the goal is for the teams to succeed, then you are going to answer the questions of the other people on your team. You're going to sit down and pair with them when they don't know how to do this thing and you do especially if it's on a system that you built and they're trying to learn. You're going to spend the time to spread the knowledge among the team because the whole team will function better. If your only criteria at work is how many tickets did I personally close, you can't have this healthy uh, collaborative environment. I use the word generativity for this but as opposed to productivity. As in, if you look at personal productivity, you can't have teamwork except except when you like deliberately leave aside your own interests. And you shouldn't have to ask people to do that. Generativity is about how are my actions helping the team as a whole? And not just the team today, but the team in the future. How is this making us into a team that can do more? Answering questions is great for that. Giving conference talks is great for that. And and generativity lets you care about each other and stop like acting like you're supposed to be this super person. I love that advice. And I think, yes, to your point, it can manifest. That generativity can manifest in so many different ways. Uh, it's funny. Just earlier today, this afternoon, a developer uh, in Slack posted – um, a snippet document dot JavaScript snippet. You can paste into your console document dot uh, design mode equals on. And I had never been exposed to this before, but what's the, what's this lets you do. They posted a, a quick video. And so this was just like a 20 second video that they posted into Slack uh, with the comment checkout document dot 
uh, design mode on. And what this does is it lets you edit any text on the page. And it's a game changer. Is that in Chrome? Yeah, I, it might just be a Chrome feature. I haven't looked at it too deeply just yet. Uh, but I thought it was so cool. And it's a game changer for uh, just being able to quickly see how uh copy changes might render out onto the page but circling back just little things even like that like uh as you learn something whether it's yeah putting a quick little um you know gif together that you relate to your team with uh even if it's like this was like a one sentence tutorial like check out document dot design mode uh but otherwise a conference talk pairing we hit on so many things there uh generative generativity i love adopting that concept Cool. Here's another, here's another starting point. Like design modicals on. That's very cool. You can tweet the one sentence version of it. You can put a tiny blog post out with a screenshot or a GIF and that's fantastic. Anything that in the course of your work uh, trips you up and when you Google it, you don't immediately find the right answer needs a blog post written on it. Yes, that is an amazing way to, I think, find uh, a seam into, yes, uh, into the world of just like content production there. Absolutely. Whatever you typed into Google, put that text in your post. Make sure that text appears. First, there's your SEO right there. And then put the solution in there. And it does not need to be long. More than once in my life, I have Googled something and Google has taken me to my own blog post. That is from like great. three years ago. I'm like, thank you, past me. That was a good <laughs> idea. That is amazing. Yes. Um, coming all the way through conference speaking, writing, producing all of this content, one question I had for you too was you're involved in, in so many projects, so much work outside of work. I was curious about how what you do when you're feeling overwhelmed or overextended, how you manage all of these, all of these various things that, that you're engaged with. Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I, ironically, like I loved programming as a career when I started because I could put it down at 5.30 and not worry about it, as opposed to college where there was always homework. Um, and so all of this extracurricular stuff I do because I love it. I enjoy speaking because I enjoy the entire process. You, you mentioned earlier that you enjoy the entire process of making this podcast. And that's a great reason to do something. I mean, some things you just have to try it before you know whether you'll love it. Um, and try it a couple times. So it's not scary. And then if nothing else, you've you've learned uh, that you can do that thing. But you may find out you love it. And then that's I mean, that's why I do it. Sometimes I get mad at myself for having signed up for stuff. (laughs) And then it's crunch time. Oh, but another beauty about conference talks, they have real deadlines. Wherever the talk is, when it's time to give it, it's done. It doesn't matter how far that is from where I hoped it would be. It's done. Yes. I'm delivering it now, and that is what it is, and that's what it's going to be. To use a quote that I guess has certainly turned into maybe a little bit of a cliche, but it's so true. You know, the uh, perfection is the enemy of good work. Yeah, those those mm. hard hard deadlines, I think, are allies at times uh, for just that, just driving driving things forward. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
John Cutler would call that a healthy enabling constraint. A healthy enabling constraint. Yes, that there is a time limit where you just call it done because darn it, you shouldn't spend your whole life on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it seems like the underlying theme of our show here, whether it's it's playing the flute or or getting on stage to to act in a play, to give a conference talk, uh, is is to to follow your passions and to to act on them. Oh oh, hint. Follow your passions is sometimes like deceptive. We can't predict what we're going to enjoy. We can't predict what's going to make us happy. We can't predict what's going to make that connection for us that brings us to our next job that we love and just takes us to whole new places in our career. Randomness is good. Try some stuff. Find out what what really gets you excited. And and also the, those things that you don't enjoy doing, but you're so glad you did it blog posts wind up in that category sometimes. And yeah, you'll learn. I mean, this, this is, this is agile, right? This is complex systems. It's, it's, and it's the math to see. We don't know where the best direction is. So pick something and then observe what happens and then react to that. Yes, I appreciate. Thank you for challenging me there. I like. I was ready to just just end on follow your passions, right? Uh, but I think may, maybe the the real takeaway maybe is put yourself out there. Uh, maybe maybe a better one. Uh, Let the passions find you. Yeah, yeah, I can get down with it. Um, one last quick thing to to hit on. You just mentioned the word somathesy. You know what? We're gonna have to. I feel like schedule another one in the future because so much more to talk about. Out, but could you give us just a quick look into what somathesy is before we close out the show? Mm. Somathesy is a learning system made of learning parts. So your team, for instance, is a somathesy because every one of you is constantly learning and you learn from each other. The interactions within the system produce learning in the pieces of the system. And that is how the team as a whole learns and is able to do more. And in software, we have like extra bonus somathesy because the software is also learning from us as we change it. And we learn from it, from what really happens in the real world and what people actually need. To learn more about somathesy and all of the topics that Jess and I have talked about here, hit the show notes. We'll have links to all of it. Jess, before we close out, do you have any parting words for our listeners out there? You know, with that cartoon with the dog and the flames with the coffee cup, and he's like, this is fine. Well, life really usually is fine. It always seems like it's on fire. Now, now with software, you, you might actually be, be able to determine whether it's really on fire or not. But the thing is, if you don't have more to do than you want to do, something's wrong. We should always have, like more things that we want to do and are excited about than we can possibly do in the time we have. So that's not a negative. Your to-do list should be impossible. Just go let the conference organizers pick or randomness pick. And a lot of those things will fall off. And that's also great. This is fine. On more things to do. I think more conversation between you and me. We'll, <laughs> we'll have great. to book another one because yes, that's there's just so much more to talk about. But for now, Jess, thank you for joining. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Kevin. 
your show notes and more on this episode, head on up to the site. That's dayasadev.com. While you're there, check out our release notes. This is a short newsletter that we send out about once a week. It includes updates along with all sorts of other goodies packaged up for your inbox. Thanks for listening. For the Day as a Dev podcast, I'm Kevin Lasht.